Today we dive into the immune system and health biohacks with Dr. Oz Garcia. I was going to have to become religious about my sleep practice because so much repair occurs when you're sleeping, immunological repair, neurological repair, the way that you're, you process intelligence, memories, all of that occurs when you're asleep. And if I wanted to recover myself, if anybody does, then they need to really rely on sleep as a central way of rebuilding and refreshing themselves so you can face the, the next day. And even now, Ben, if I don't get an adequate amount of sleep, and, and sleep is a superpower, I can get symptomy. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, we have a legend in the health space today who's been around in the game for 40 plus years, Dr. Oz Garcia. And oh boy, does he have a story to share with you regarding how COVID almost took his life. He was actually on death's door. And he's going to share that story. And he, he looks back and he's so grateful he got out of the hospital. And he's going to share the things he did to recover his immune system and long-haul COVID. Today's episode is all about long-haul COVID symptoms. If you got COVID in the past and you still have symptoms, it's a cellular danger response. The mitochondria haven't adapted to the stress and you're stuck in this CDR response. We'll get into that. We'll get into the story. He actually wrote an entire book that came out in uh, earlier this year, April 2022, titled After COVID, Optimize Your Health in a Changing World. So we get into his backstory, how he got started in the health space in the 1970s, and some of the things he learned along the way, some things that have come and go, some things that have stayed put, why he loves keto, why he loves fasting, the process of hormesis, which we talk about a lot today. We get into peptides, sleep being what he calls the magic ingredient. We get into the two metabolic processes and pathways, mTOR, which is anabolic in growth, and then autophagy, which is more catabolic in repair. Both could be great in spurts, but too much on either side is where you get into problems. So how do you balance that? He's going to talk about that. Debilitating migraines, how he used fasting to cure that and some of his health challenges. Therapeutic peptides that can normalize your brain chemistry. How unprocessed trauma gets stored in the body through neurological tissues, and then we get into the long-haul COVID symptoms and what you can do about it. Sleep is a big part of today's conversation as well, 
And you're going to love his energy, his enthusiasm. He was in New York City. You could tell by his accent. And you'll love him. So I can't wait to bring him on. Before I do, I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day from Live Better Health. Five-star titled Ben Azadi. And here's what they shared. I always love the information Ben provides. I continue to learn from him and his guests that he interviews. Love is positive vibe. Love you right back. I'm so glad you are enjoying me and the show and the guest. And hey, thank you for tuning in, but also taking some time to leave that rating and review. It really, really helps. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, please do so right now on whatever platform you're listening from. And maybe I will read your review on the next episode. Okay, Dr. Oz Garcia, here we go. Dr. Oz is recognized as an authority on healthy aging, age reversal, and fortifying the immune system. His client list includes A-list celebrities, Fortune 100 CEOs, and more recently, those dealing with COVID and post-COVID health issues. His unique and customized approach to nutrition, functional health, and self-optimization combined with more than 40 years of experience have made him one of the most recognizable names in the industry. I kind of said during the show, he's like, he was doing biohacks before there was even a term for biohacks. In his recent book, After COVID, he outlines the game plan for those suffering with long-haul COVID symptoms. Here's Oz Garcia. We're going to have a really important conversation. I was just telling you offline that I get so many messages, so many comments about, hey, Ben, I, I got COVID six months ago, 12 months ago, and I'm still having symptoms. What can I do? And there wasn't really, there hasn't been like a full protocol available or a book, a resource that I could hand them until now. Um, you have written a book and we're going to get into your book and your story to talk about what long COVID, long haul symptoms exactly are and what we can do about it. So I'm so glad you got the book, which we're going to dive deep into. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see the book right here, After COVID, Optimize Your Health in a Changing World. So I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, Oz, 1970-ish, you're running around Central Park. You currently live in New York, but you were living there in 1970-ish. And uh, your routine was run around the park, smoke some Marlboro cigarettes. <laughs> what was the thinking back then? You got it. <laughs> I, 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 to this day, I recall. I mean, this, is the, this was my porthole into the work that I do today. And it began, interestingly enough, you know, by, by running. I was, I was uh, attracted by an article I'd read in one of the New York dailies about how people were quote unquote jogging and what was this thing. And in New York back then, typically you wouldn't run the whole park, you would run the reservoir. So all the runners would meet afterwards and pull out a Marlboro, you know, Marlboro Red and just talk about what a wonderful run that was as we kind of sucked in our tobacco. <laughs> all these cigarette butts were, were at the entrance to, to the reservoir. So yeah, that that was the seventies. That's wild. I mean, back then, what was the thought around cigarettes? Were they still saying it's safe, or was it kind of a, a stigma around that time? Not at all. Everybody smoked. You got to remember that it's still into the seventies, and to some extent, the the early eighties. The endorsements, cigarettes were were advertised on TV, right? And and you would get endorsements from extremely well known celebrities, uh, medical endorsements. You know, we go back, we go back into the 60s, 
you would get endorsements from cardiologists saying how great you know a camel was for your heart. And people really point into that. And so you would start smoking at a young age. God only knew that, you know, what we know now. Early on, cigarettes with filters could hurt you even more. Filters originally had asbestos in them. So not only would you get the double whammy from the tobacco and all the crap that they would use in tobacco, preserving agents, dyes, bleaches, and so on, but also when you inhaled, you would get microscopic particles of asbestos through the filter into your lungs too. And and, and people just smoke this crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> and, and you're right. A lot of celebrities and doctors endorsed it. And we kind of see the same thing now with like sugar and seed oils and other things out there that people are endorsing, which oh, yeah. are not necessarily healthy for us. So you've been in the game 40 plus years. You have seen a lot. You've seen things come and go and trends and fads and diets and all these different things. And I love your mindset around diets, especially nutrition, especially, uh, which is more of like a diet variation. And my mentor, Dr. Pompa always talks about this, how there's not one diet and even keto, like I think keto is fantastic, but I teach it cyclically, right? But it's the variation and the change and kind of mimicking our ancestors. And this is something you do and you believe in. Could you share a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, that, that also includes uh, not eating, underfeeding, let's say, right? So what, what now is typically called intermittent fasting, but I would do certainly in, in the 70s and the 80s because I had a great deal of interest in dealing with my health issues. I got very interested in fasting, and I want to touch on that first because it plays such a critical role, let's say, whether you're ketogenic, paleo, you know, raw, foodist, ancestral dietary eater, all this kind of stuff. Not eating is also critical for our bodies. We do, you know that it will produce a certain amount of hormetic stress on your tissue, on your biology. And, and by that, we mean a good kind of stress so that when you underfeed, if you can do 14 to 16 hours without anything solid, right, if you go, let's say, from lunch to breakfast and you're able to skip dinner periodically, what you're doing is you're mimicking the way it must have been when we were hunter-gatherers, where you would go long periods of time without not eating anything until you were able to get a nice big piece of, of protein that you were able to hunt down. But in a competitive environment for, for keto calories, if you were looking at an antelope, you better believe that there were probably dozens of other eyeballs looking at it, you know, going, that's going to be lunch for me today. So on the path to getting a kill, you would eat low-hanging fruit, insects, root vegetables that you would probably you know, tear up out of the ground, highly fibrous, and, and, and in essence, not eating at all. So there are two things that happen. You develop a, a system that can break down cells that are damaged quicker with greater efficiency, apoptosis, and along with that, autophagy, where, where you're getting a lot of cells that are no longer useful being cleared out. And this happens very quickly when we underfeed and we... We undereat for 14, 16 hours. And it happens with greater efficiency the more that you do that. And then you eat. So you've got a phenomena where undereating, intermittent fasting, and then eating, all these different stages actually produce something. So when you begin to feed again, after you've underfed and you, you go on to high protein, whatever it is that, that you choose at that point, 
what, what happens is a different phenomenon. Your body begins to build itself back with much greater efficiency. So it's, it's kind of a dance between what it is that you're eating, right, and the choices that you're making in that regard, and then choosing not to eat at times so that you're, you're matching your, your ancestral hardwired way of being, right, when we were hunters and gatherers. And that, that very much still is critical in repairing and rebuilding our bodies. I agree. I, I, I agree. We are genetically hardwired to go through those feast famine cycles. And you have two different camps, right? You have the, the fitness camp who are like all about mTOR, which is that, you know, growth, anabolic, anabolic. And then you have the, the fasting camp, which, which I love too, but it's more like autophagy, too catabolic, too much. How do you find that delicate balance between both of those pathways, growth and repair? You and I can do it really well. I, I mean, I, I found out that I had to kind of strike a balance in that regard after I got uh, COVID. And, and probably what I got slime with was, was Delta Plus and just the way that it happened, who I was exposed to and so on. But I knew that when I was repairing, when I left the hospital, and we talked uh, about this before the show, I dropped 40 pounds of muscle. So I needed to actually strike a balance and, and the way that I would, I would regulate my mTOR levels was by using the kind of supplements like phosphatidyl, carnitine. Uh, there's a, a two or three other products that actually do that, that are remarkable supplements, PA, that will allow you to build well. And at the same time, I can practice when I need to so that I'm doing my repair where I'm, I'm re reducing a lot of the sick cells in my body. And they were that. They were just that. As you and I get older, we, need to, we, we do need to strike a balance. So I will go through periods where I may, I may pack on a lot more in terms of food, the kind of supplements and peptides that are, are more anabolic. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to back off anyway because of, of the fact that if you go too long, just building, 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 there are consequences. There may be other health problems that, that are going to arise. So no matter what, on a weekly basis, I've got to, I, even if I, I would just pull off one night where, where it's kind of like, okay, I'm not going to eat, you know, lunch will be my last meal at one o'clock. I'll have teas. I'll have broths. I'll have bone broth. And then I, I won't eat anything until the following morning. So you, you learn how to strike that balance. And you, you'll even build better. You'll even build better muscle mass to the extent that you do back off on eating. There's this brilliant trainer, Ori Hoffmeckler, you probably know about him. Yeah, um, I love him, I love his books. Yeah, he's, he's one, of, one of my heroes. Uh, his last book, Seven Principles of Stress, is remarkable in terms of how he talks about being able to kind of do the dance between autophagy, apoptosis, you know, regulating mTOR appropriately. And if you don't regulate mTOR appropriately, same thing, you, you, you can build yourself into, into a problem. And most, most Americans are, are too, they're getting too much mTOR. They need to balance it out with autophagy. Um, they're in this constant fed state, right? And, and it's super cool, Oz, because you were doing fasting and, and longer fast, like seven day, 10 day fast, water, uh, juice, before like anything about senescent cells were out there or autophagy or apoptosis. So like, did you just have an intuition that I'm going to fast for 10 days? Were you studying anybody like Herbert Shelton? Like what got you into fasting? Well, you're close. Um, um, Paul Bragg. Got it. Okay. You know, Herbert Shelton was also remarkable in that era. Norman Walker. 
you know, the Walker Tuesday, which has made a complete comeback now. I, I can't even believe it. But 56 years later, people are, are juicing on a, on a Walker Tuesday. But somebody had given me a book called The Miracle of Fasting by Paul Bragg. Now, this must have been 1973, 74. And Paul Bragg died in his, I think his 94, 95 I don't think he died from old age. I think he died from drowning, swimming in off uh, a beach in Hawaii. But Bragg was an evangelist for fasting. And so the miracle, you know, Paul Bragg, you can get by Braggaminos, right? Bragg, apple cider vinegar. It's th they're still very popular. So Paul wrote this book, The Miracle of Fasting. And I used to suffer from migraine headaches, really severe ones. My dad had them. My mom had them. And lo and behold, I started getting them in my late teens, early 20s, and I didn't know what the solution was. Painkillers didn't help, anti-inflammatories didn't help, the medications that my mom uh, took actually would compromise how she felt. Yes, it would get rid of the migraine, but it would also like, just completely knock her out. And I remember being told by a doctor that I should go on that particular medication. I thought there's gotta be a better way. So coincidentally, this, this friend of mine, more like an acquaintance, was in a studio where I was working. And he said, here, why don't you read this book? And I couldn't put it down. I was like, what is this? You know, what, what's fasting? And so I, I did it. I actually did a two-day water fast while I was having a migraine. And I remember, I remember feeling really clear, like I didn't have a, a migraine hangover. And I think the first thing that I ate, I remember, was an orange and a piece of avocado. And I thought... This is incredible. Like, not only did I get rid of the headache, but I feel well. I feel, I feel well. Like, what is this? So that led me to do a first, first I did a, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody now. I did a three-day carrot juice fast, you know, and it was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Then after that. Did you, did you turn orange? I, I did. My palms turned completely orange. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend it to anybody now. You get, you get orange, you're all over um, yeah, you know, from the amount of beta carotene that you build up in your tissue, but I felt terrific. And then I did a five day fast. Then it became routine to do seven day fast. I would do seven days on water, watermelon, wheatgrass juice. And the experience is just, you know, terrific. You just get very clear. Then I got, as I started evolving my points of view, I did, I started, to, I would do saunas. I would go to the 10th Street uh, Russian bathhouse while I was fasting. So the detox was even more insidious and deeper. You know, years after I quit smoking, and but years, I mean, literally about 10 years, I did a two-week fast on water, watermelon juice, wheatgrass, green juices. I would do an enema every day or, or colonics. And I would do saunas that would last for an hour, two hours. And I must have been at one point well over 10 years, Ben, where I hadn't smoked a cigarette. And I remember coming out of the sauna box. And by then, I'd already run at least one marathon, as I, as I recall. I was running all the time. And I, I was sitting, no, I was actually still in the sauna box. And I, I smelled tobacco in the sauna box. And I, I ran my, my hand through my hair. And I went, oh, my God, this is coming off of me. Nobody, unless you actually do this, you know, where you do, uh, you know, sauna detox and a fast, it's like crap was coming out of me that, that was in there for years. And I recognized at that point that after being a runner and doing fasting and doing saunas and 
growing a lot of my own sprouts and all, all of that, that this stuff was still in me. Like what, what's in most people? <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. What's in most people? I'm sure a lot other things will come out of other people. You're like the original biohacker, man. You were doing all these things before it was popular. That's true. I, I, I think about that often, you know, and I see uh, so many people now getting into much of what I did. Thank God I'm compassionate, uh, certainly to myself and, and, and hardly have an enviable bone in my body. But I'll listen to some of the, the better known hackers that are out there. And they're kind of just promoting and just discovered, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, my God, there were two brilliant research scientists out of MIT, Dirk Pearson and Sandy Shaw. They wrote a book called, I think it was called Anti-Aging. Anti-Aging, yeah, I think that's what it was, yeah. Remember? And it was like this big, thick book. And I still have my original copies, completely yellowed. I think I came out in 1980, if I'm not mistaken. But I remember reading it, and they were really, really, really the original biohackers. Uh, They had photos in the book where they showed that they hadn't worked out, but they were both muscular, Dirk looked terrific, and they were using arginine, ornithine, carnitine, I mean, early early versions of these amino acids and really hacking their bodies in remarkable ways. That's you know? fascinating. They were probably looked at like, like um, quacks back then. Uh, completely, completely. And, and remember what I said, they were MIT uh, research scientists. But they look a little scary, too. You know, he had really long hair, and, you know, but they were fascinating characters. That was an insp- they, they were my, my earliest inspiration other than Paul Bragg. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, I love that. Paul Bragg is a, is a legend. I, my mentor, Dr. Uh, John Martini, Paul Bragg changed his life. He met him. He had strychnine poisoning in Hawaii as a teenager, discovered Paul Bragg in this yoga class. And um, Paul Bragg saved his life, but also gave him an affirmation, which is, uh, you are a genius. So the affirmation is actually, I am a genius and I apply my wisdom. And he told John to say that affirmation every day until it tingles with every cell in your body. And then it'll tingle with the universe as well. And now John Demartini is like a world-class traveler, an educator, and Paul Bragg changed his life. So it's super cool to see how he changed your life as well. Oh, yeah. Well, well uh, on the shoulders of that story, you know, Paul tells the story of how he got really involved in healing himself through fasting because he was a very sickly kid. And, mm-hmm. and when he was younger, they would give uh, as a remedy uh, quicksilver, mercury. So mercury was very popular throughout the South as a cure. Right? And remember, I don't know, well, maybe you don't, but, but certainly when I was growing up, one of the, the medications that was used, if you got a cut, was called mercurochrome, right? So Paul would be given mercury as a kid to deal with his handicaps and his problems. And That's he talked, insane. It, it, it is, right? And, and he talks about when he started fasting, he was fasting a lot, that one day he got this terrible stomach ache and he went down, he was actually boating, I think maybe Louisiana or something like that, and he sat down, he took a poop, and what came out was a huge amount of, of mercury. That's wild. And, that's an- yeah, and it's, it, it documents it in one of his books. But, but that's how well fasting works in terms of detoxing your body. It's, it's an incredible tool. And uh, I know it's popular right now, but it, it's been around since humans have existed, right? It's the same thing with ketosis as well, because naturally when you fast, you enter ketosis. So thank God 
for that ability to switch to fat and produce ketones. Otherwise, our ancestors would be these blubbering idiots who we would have never survived. So thank God for these processes, right? That, that's correct. Yeah, and also, too, what we do know is that when you would, when you would underfeed, let's say you, you would be going into, I don't know, about 24, 40, 72 hours, uh, where you're hardly eating anything, your ketone bodies would increase dramatically. And that would improve vision, long-distance vision, acuity, so that you could see what it was that you were hunting much better. Your hearing would improve so that you could track, along with, with your vision, what it was that you were hunting. That's why when you see a predator on the prowl, if you're a hungry lioness, you're, you're much more dangerous than if you've eaten, right? And, and you know, where, where you're going to lounge around and do what, what a a lounging lioness does, but otherwise not being fed and being hungry tends to turn up all sensitivity in terms of your senses and you become deadly in that regard. That, that's true also for human beings. Yeah, it makes sense, right? You're, you're the number one priority for the body is survival, right? So the innate intelligence right. is, is like, oh, 30 hours without food energy. What are we going to do? Let's pump the body full of all these amazing resources so they can go out there and hunt and kill and catch their meal. That's why I feel so great when I'm in a fasted state. If I'm like lecturing on stage, I'm going to be fasted. I'm going to make sure I'm at peak mental state in ketosis. And then I'll balance that out with feasting. I think that that's where a lot of people, at least in my space, Oz, they forget the feasting part. They forget that, hey, mTOR is amazing in spurts and you don't want to be all about autophagy all the time. The feasting right. is important, right? That's right. Well, it's intermittent fasting, intermittent feasting. It's IFIF. That's the formula that, that you got to remember. So remember that I said this earlier, that there's tremendous phenomena that occurs when you start eating, right? The minute, the minute you, you flip over from not eating or underfeeding and you start feeding, you start eating, then a whole bunch of, of dramatic stuff occurs. Certainly improvement in terms of mTOR, giving your body the resources necessary to build, you know, high quality, better, better muscle. Um, and, and you and I could just go on in that regard. So you, you do have to know when it's time to stop not eating and, and start to eat and, and eat an adequate amount of, of the right protein and fat. I like the IFIF thought. I haven't heard that before. Intermittent fasting, intermittent feasting. It's brilliant. That's, that's correct. That's the way it should be. Now, of course, if somebody's obese listening to this or watching this, you might need a little bit of some autophagy, more autophagy than than feasting, right? So we gotta, you know, of course, customize it. But the goal is to balance out both of those pathways. The the, the goal is not to be too much on any side. Right, and and, and I would say also there are uh, peptides, and, and and I know you know Ben. Uh, that peptides constitute a whole, you know, practically a whole new category of nutraceuticals and supplements. But besides vitamins and minerals, essential fats and herbs and essential fatty acids, you, 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 peptide, there are certain peptides that actually will regulate the brain chemistry in somebody who's overweight or obese that is dysregulated and doesn't permit them to under eat properly. I, I think tesofensine is remarkable. Uh, five amino Q. These are oral peptides that uh, can be taken that have a profound effect on normalizing brain chemistry and the way that the body can regulate appetite and, and, and sugar so that if you're overweight and you're obese and you've got an imbalance in sugar regulation or brain chemistry, that then you can, you can do with this kind of support 
under eating and under feeding. It's super interesting. Yeah, my my good friend uh, Jay Campbell, who who had you on, he, he yes. had you. Yeah, he's like my go-to whenever I have a peptide question. I just text him, and be like, "Which peptide is good for this for that?" So, and your book actually has a lot of info on peptides. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high-carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a bile stimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. I take this before my meals. I take it before coffee. And this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules and all of the products over at Paleo Valley. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out. Paleovalley.com. That is KetoCamp15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Let's transition into your book and your story, right? You got really sick from COVID and you were in the hospital for surgery. I'll let you tell the story. Like, Let's share a little bit about what happened to you, uh, what led up to getting sick with COVID, and why do you think you got so sick? So uh, first thing to know is, is I'm, I'm pro-vaccine, I'm pro right? And so I can elaborate on that, and I will a little bit. So this is before the vaccine was available. The lockdown was over, and there was a window of one, two months, January, February of 2021, where you could go back and get elective surgery. So mid-January of 2021, since I've been a runner, but I've been a runner for 45 years, I sustained a lot of running injuries. Both, both my, I've already replaced my left hip. I had a plate put in my neck. I have two pins in my lower back. And how is it going through TSA with that? <laughs> it goes off. <laughs> I could imagine. <laughs> it, it, I couldn't believe it. I was coming back from Miami about a month ago. And I thought it was because I had taken everything off. You know, I belt buckle, aura ring, whatever. And, and it still went off. And I realized it was the Veriflex pin that I have, been, pins that I have in my lower back. And it was, it was just funny as hell. I, I literally went to the machine, and, and, and when it went off, I went, oh, it's the pins. You know, it was like, oh, my God. But when I was younger, and so far as my running, and this is to the point of the story, I, I was an obsessive runner. So, I, you know, do a marathon once a month was, was not unusual for me. Half marathons, 
and I, I, did, I don't think I missed a day of running for 40 years. But in the early days of running, in the 70s and the 80s, there, there were no running sneakers. You know, there, there were cheapy Adidas or cheapy Tiger sneakers, which eventually Phil Knight converted into Nike. But, but they, they just had a little, you know, crept sole. So, so the pounding on the body was tremendous. And, uh, you know, since I didn't modify my running uh, at all in, into my 60s, my, my body is like falling apart. So I went in for elective surgery. I had worked with a team of neurosurgeons up at Mount Sinai. And we decided we we're going to start on my cervical bones, that is my neck, and uh, did the surgery. Everything went well. I've got a plate in my neck. And, and my neck's in remarkably good shape. But again, from the years of running up and down, uh, cervical bones were getting crushed. I had little uh, spikes growing out of, out of the bones themselves. And I was so happy. It was like, okay, got this you know, under my belt and I've got a bunch of others. And I had planned in my head that I'd have everything done within you know, six months. I'm gonna get everything done. So I'm, I'm in the recovery room at Mount Sinai and the room that I was in, but the, the, the person I was occupying the room with is a very well-known rugby player from England. And he was here getting uh, back surgery also. Now, now, he probably bought Delta Plus over is what, what in, in retrospect, I concluded. He would come over and try to talk to me and uh, he was, wasn't wearing a mask and nobody was vaccinated. And in those days, who knew? You could get, you'd get tested and test negative and get on a plane but you were, you were carrying the virus. So when I realized that this could be a problem, you know, that, okay, I'm recovering, this is really intensive surgery, maybe I gotta get discharged as soon as possible. My doctors insisted that I stay in there. We, we just wanna observe you for another day or two. And, and that's mm -hmm. when I, where I think I picked it up uh, from this gentleman. When I went home, I never really recovered. So as the days went on, I just kept feeling worse and worse and worse. And by that, I mean like my energy sucked. I could hardly get out of bed. All I wanted to do was just sleep. And the pain in my neck was getting uh, even worse. So when I would call and ask like, is this the way it's supposed to be? Should I come in and get checked? My surgeon said, no, no, you're fine. This is recovery. And nobody could have guessed what was about to happen next. About 12 days of being home and feeling horrific, I said, I called them and I said, guys, you gotta look, something is probably really wrong with my neck. I, I'm just not getting any better, you know? They said, all right, come in. Had we waited another day, you and I wouldn't be talking right now, Ben. Mm -hmm. So it was that bad. When, when I got in there, they did a, uh, an X-ray on my neck and my surgeon said to me, would you mind going over to the COVID ward? And it wasn't a question, it was more a statement, you know? Not like, we're telling you, would you mind? We're telling you, you got to go. So I was so out of it, and I think they saw it, that they took me in a wheelchair over to uh, one of the, uh, the departments in the COVID ward. And the doctor on that side just took a look at me, and they threw me up on a gurney. They did a PET scan. I don't even know how they knew this, but they did a PET scan on my right leg, just ran the, 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 the device. I had two clots in my right leg, and they just stopped right there. They just said, you, we got, you got to go to emergency right away. So did you have any pain? Did you have any pain in your leg at all? I, no. And, wow. and I didn't even have pain in my chest. Little did I know after they did the scan, CAT scan on my, 
my lungs, more than half my lungs were filled with, with, with to quote the doctor, millions of microclots with one big one headed for my heart. In other words, I already was packing an aneurysm. And the shock uh, was, was beyond anything. So, of course, I got tested then uh, properly, and I tested positive for COVID. I probably had had it for the two weeks that I was home recovering for the surgery. So that's why I got so sick. Sorry, th did you have the aura ring at that time? And if you did, were you seeing like your numbers just out of control? It, it, you know, the, the, here's the thing. I had my earlier aura ring, and but I was so out of it that I didn't charge it. Right? So... I wasn't looking at it. I would literally sleep 14, 16, 18 hours. You know, so I was dealing with the surgery, recovery from the surgery, one. And two, the fact that my body was being taken over by this really insidious infection rapidly. So my immune system was down from the surgery. And secondarily, I was dealing with Delta Plus, which is killing everybody. So from there, I was so out of it that I said, you know, well, can I go home and quarantine? And they're like, are you crazy? You're not going anywhere. And, and that's pretty much how it began, Ben. That is very scary. And, you know, it was tough for you because you were feeling off because you had the surgery. Uh, so, you know, you, it led you to believe that the reason I just keep feeling this way is because I just had, you know, a surgery, but you weren't getting better. And thank God you made the decision to actually go in and they said to come in because like you said, a day later, probably wouldn't be having this conversation. So in the hospital, what were some of the things they did for you? Well, let's say that the good part, and, and of course I cover this in the book and I know you're familiar with this, but, but the good part is, yes, they saved my life. But the amount of PTSD that I walked out with after that was, was brutal. I mean, it's taken me a lot of work to kind of get over it all. The, the, the hospitals were out of hospital rooms. So essentially what, what they had done was convert storage rooms into hospital rooms. And I was put into a storage room, you know, with, with a reconverted bed. Somebody else was in the room with me. The white lights were never turned off. There was no temperature control. So it was sheer emotional anguish and physical. Here I am recovering from neck surgery. I've got COVID. And the physical situation is just horrifying. I couldn't eat. Uh, my breathing was very, very shallow. I was being given an antiviral, uh, remdesivir, as I recall, dexamethasone. And because of the way that COVID works, in my case, and as it did for many people with the, with the earlier versions, not the BA1 and BA5 that's, that's around now, my blood pressure went through the roof. So at one point, they thought that I was going to have a heart attack. So I was put on blood pressure medication also. The stay itself was dehumanizing besides the fact that you've lost control over your body. When I was in the emergency room getting ready to be uh, put into uh, the hospital, I was seeing people come in every, you know, three, four minutes on gurneys. And the hallways themselves had people just lying in them and they were uh, suffering terribly. So there was nothing about the medical uh, gulag that I was in that I could say was, was really good, other than the fact that they were able to keep me alive. At one point, they're, they're, like that's, that was their job. Can we keep this guy alive? and in tremendous discomfort with, with my neck in, in the way that it was. I didn't have my neck support. 
the food, of course, for somebody like you and me that's interested in diet, you know, like like what they were feeding me, I can't I can't even get it. You know, like like literally, I, when they say hospital food, it was like rubber chicken, mashed potatoes, and GMO corn, Jello for dessert, and and not they're just not aware that what it is that you eat and you consume could probably possibly play a role in 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 you healing. So that that didn't exist. I didn't sleep. The pain was uh, beyond belief. And then on top of that, the the the, the pain in my neck. But beyond that, I I lost uh, almost forty pounds in weight, muscle, in, in less than five days. About five days. I was losing about eight to ten pounds a day. Wow. Right? And but I could feel it, and I had no appetite, and I didn't see myself in a mirror. So three weeks later, when I got home, and I finally looked at an, an image of myself, I'd, I'd lost most of my hair. You know, a lot of it was left in the pillows. And I was in the hospital for three weeks. I was told at one point by the pulmonologist and the, the medical staff that I, I'd probably be in there for maybe up to two months. Yo, you're easily going to be in here six to eight weeks. And I was like, oh, my God, like, like I'm, I'll never make it. The psychological pressure was was just too much and again uh, being in a storage room you know i was in three of them i was moved around you didn't have windows you never saw the outside world sounds like a nightmare sounds like an absolute nightmare so you were there for three weeks is what you said correct and it was that it was very very much a nightmare at one point the medical team the pulmonology medical team surrounded me and they said we need your permission to put you on a ventilator and i think i talk about this part in the book too and I said, no way, you know, just there's no, no way possible. Already statistically, we knew, I knew, and we knew in our office that the likelihood of coming back from a mechanical ventilator, and that is where they put a tube down you and they need to, to give you a sedative so you don't pull it out. So you're essentially asleep for a day, a week, a month, however long this thing is in you. They asked me my permission, you know, could you agree to uh, give us your permission to put you on a mechanical ventilator, things get worse. And I said, no. So I think uh, the, the stats were uh, two out of every 10 people that went on it would survive. And I said that to them. Yeah, it's very low. Yeah, extremely low. And and what the, their response was, was kind of, you know, shrugged their shoulders and was like, well, it's the best thing we'll be able to do if, if you lose the ability to breathe. So they put me on what's called a calendula. It's a high flow breathing machine where they put little tubes in your nose. And as I told you earlier, it generated 100% oxygen, 65 liters. But that's, that's equivalent of about 65 bottles of milk of oxygen per minute. So that, and then what we had discussed before, which is I, I just violated hospital rules. I had all my supplements that I knew would help my lungs and my breathing smuggled into the hospital and birthday gifts. I spent my birthday out there. But but this saved my life. So as the days went on, consuming the products that I was consuming, and of course, with the, with with what they gave me in the hospital that, that was useful, um, I got out in three weeks instead of eight. Yeah. Way to, way to take uh, ownership there. And thank God you did that. Because... Yeah. So, so you you mentioned that when you got out of the hospital, you you had some PTSD that you were dealing with. Can you explain what we mean by that? Do you mean like you didn't want to see any people? You were afraid of getting sick again? Was that the PTSD? 
Well, well, let's just kind of for your listeners to get a sense of what I'm talking about. Uh, we're, we're all to some extent traumatized, right? That there's trauma that you and I build up and it lives in neurological tissue. Some theorists would tell you that trauma lives in different parts of our, our body, that we hold it somatically in muscle and ligament and so on. And, and um, you know, a lot of trauma begins early on. You know, mommy smacked and took your lollipop away. That was traumatic when you were three years old. But, but trauma accumulates throughout a lifetime. You know, breakups, uh, accidents, losing a job. There's so many things that can build up trauma, both psychological and biological. So uh, PTSD is extreme expression of trauma. That's where you're actually suffering to the point where it feels as though you just came back from a war. You know, a soldier from Afghanistan or a soldier coming back from, from the wars in Iraq. So it, it felt as though I'd come back from a war. And the amount of anxiety, uh, insomnia, the nightmares, uh, which, is, which is horrifying. And so being that traumatized was something that I knew I would have to contend with. I mean, I mean, not sleeping for almost three weeks. In other words, being woken up every two to three hours, have your blood drawn, test your blood pressure, ask a bunch of questions, and, and then you just can't fall asleep. You're just staring at the ceiling, suffering terribly. So I, I, when I got home, I, had, I really had had very little sleep. I had lost all this weight, and my skin was just hanging off my body. So there was all the trauma that I brought back as though I'd been, as though I'd been at war. I'd been a war survivor. And yes, I knew, I knew enough to know, uh, based on historically who I am, what I've studied, and so on, that this was the film of crap that the, that the virus had, had left me with that I was going to have to confront at some point. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you get out and now you're still having symptoms. So maybe you could explain what are long haul, what is a long haul COVID? What does that actually mean? And what's actually the problem with it? And what are some of the things that you did for yourself that you also outline in your book, but we're not going to be able to get to everything, but some of the, the things you did for yourself starting out. Well, we'll think of COVID in this example as a car accident, right? So, so the car accident then is the event that's, that's getting sick. And then you, you take a, you, you take a really bad hit, right? The, the, the accident causes an impact to your body. Maybe you get whiplash, maybe your head gets banged into uh, the dashboard. Uh, you're flung around and you've got all these aches and pains afterwards, after the accident itself that don't go away. Right. So, so that's, the, the kind of rollout after COVID where you're going to suffer the after effects. I think of it also kind of like, you know, you're, you live in Miami and I have a house in Miami too. Um, if termites invade your home, you, you know, you're going to put the tent around the house and you're going to, fumigators are going to come in and fumigate the place. But once it's all over, you, you're going to really wonder how safe it is to get, you know, walk on the floorboards or, you know, should I really walk up the stairs? So even though you got rid of the problem, the virus, you're still in very fragile territory. Since I had lost so much weight, my joints were killing me. That was part of long hauling. And periodically, I still get that problem. There are different uh, protocols that I follow so that I'm not in that much physical discomfort. 
I had really terrible sleep, dreams, and so on for quite a while afterwards. And insomnia is also something that long haulers will suffer from. Many long haulers develop neurological problems, uh, neuropathy, that is distant pains, numbness throughout their body that can affect your vision. The more common one that many people know about is the loss of smell and taste, which I didn't get, but I got pretty much everything else. So the severe exhaustion, I would say, is pretty much defines what long hauling will be. I could literally, uh, when I got out of the hospital, sleep, uh, you sleep a lot when you're sick, but, but certainly in long hauling, even afterwards, the exhaustion was so severe that I would have like an active morning, maybe get up at nine, something like that, and be active till about one or two, then I needed to sleep. You know, and, and it's like you couldn't get enough sleep bed. So everything that I did was to try and understand how do I rebuild my energy back? So long hauling symptoms can be a wide spectrum of events. You're breathing, you can't catch your breath. The residual damage of, of what I had, which is COVID pneumonia. So my lungs are in, in great shape now. But I, I worked extremely hard to build up my lung capacity, my aerobic capacity. And, and a lot of long haulers just don't know the options that are available to them. Thank God I'd been a runner. And thank God that I really understood that you could do uh, a whole series of, of di different breathing exercises, whether Wim Hof or yogic breathing. I, I had to teach myself how to breathe all over again. Right? So long hauling is something that you and I could define, but there's also the psychological impact. You really do have flashbacks and they're, they can be terribly unpleasant. And you find yourself worrying about nothing. At moments, it's like completely racked with depression, second-guessing yourself. It took me a long time to actually come back to the point where I could be my public self all over again, like, like doing a podcast with you. Right? But, but I knew that I would get back to that. Yeah, I, lo I love that you knew that. And I love that in your book, you actually talk about you know, the meditation, the gratitude, that the importance of that, um, which I want to talk a little bit more about. But essentially, what COVID is, COVID long haul symptoms and symptoms that stick around for a long time, including autoimmune disease, it's essentially like um, a cell danger response, right? The mitochondria. And I know there's some research from a gentleman named Dr. Robert Navio that shows yeah. that when there's a threat, right? And then there was a big threat for you. The mitochondria pres preserve energy and it reduces energy. And then it gets, it got stuck there for you. So the name of the game and all the things you talk about in the book are ways to enhance mitochondrial function, right? That's correct. And also let's just say that the mitochondria become highly defective. So their ability to produce energy, you know, uh, adenosine triphosphate, ATP from sugar, or fat, or ketones isn't working. And so where you and I can have an adequate amount of energy to get up, walk, go for a run, go to the gym, have a personal life, you know, a sexual life too, an intimate life, all of that was, was gone because the virus itself causes tremendous destruction with the mitochondrial function. So, you know, to, to even lift my hand was impossible at some certain uh, points. It was just the exhaustion. And, and for some people, it produces uh, uh, fibromyalgia. 
you know, different, you know, where, where it's like all of a sudden your neck is killing you and your shoulders are killing you. So all of that I understood to be a phenomenon of a breakdown with the mitochondria. And how was I going to repair that? Yeah. Yeah. And you have a lot in your book about how to repair that. And I like, I love the emphasis here on sleep. You call it the magic ingredient. Talk, speak a little bit more about how you use sleep and why sleep is important, whether you got long COVID or not, like the importance of getting quality sleep each night. Matt Walker, who I know you know uh, and certainly know about, is probably the world's you know greatest authority right now on, on sleep. And so with Matt, uh, Ariana Huffington also wrote a book called Sleep years ago. I was well aware of the fact that if I wanted to get better, I was going to have to become religious about my sleep practice because so much repair occurs when you're sleeping, immunological repair, neurological repair, the way that you're, you process intelligence, memories, all of that occurs when you're asleep. And if I wanted to recover myself, if anybody does, then they need to really rely on sleep as a central way of rebuilding and refreshing themselves so you can face the, the next day. I, I mean, now I'm like, like an old person. You know, if you could cut, I am an old person. You know, I'm, I'm in bed by 9.30. I'm watching Netflix and reading and listening to podcasts. I'm out by 10.30. You know, and I like to get up early. I like to get up around 6, the latest. But, but going to bed earlier and getting up earlier has a, a terrific effect on every aspect of your biology. Memory consolidation takes place during deep sleep, you know, and, and it goes on in REM sleep where you're dreaming a lot. Much of the ways that the brain itself reduces uh, neurotoxic buildup is through the glymphatic system. And that's like the lymph system, but, but it's in, in, in your brain. And, and that reduction of waste byproducts from the sugar that you and I burn in our brain all day and, and ketones and, and the, the, the fats occurs while, while we're sleeping. So if you're not well rested, you, you really don't detox your brain. The amount of, of, of growth factors, growth hormone that keeps you and me young, active, looking good happens in the first hour, more or less of, of sleeping. So, and, and, and it happens, if you're getting eight hours of sleep, you gotta get your eight hours of sleep earlier. So if you go to bed at 11.30 or 12 or one and you sleep at hours, you miss the window where a lot of repair takes place. And a lot of people that I know that, you know, certainly in New York, and masters of the universe, men or women, that like to stay up late. And they're like, well, yeah, but I get up at eight, you know, and I get, you know, nine hours, eight, nine hours, we'll get, well, I'll get up at eight. It's like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> it's like uh, before there was electricity and lights where you could stay up at night and, and your digital devices, everybody was asleep. 8.39, 9.30, you know, when the sun went down. And these were farmer's hours. So we're built to actually go to sleep earlier, have everything turned off. So you want to wear glasses like you have on now at night. And I'll turn my Wi-Fi off after 7 p.m. So as much EMF crap that, that's in the apartment, you want, to, you want to avoid. And my room's like a bear cave. So whether it's, it's uh, summer uh, fall, winter, I keep it really cold. I wear my goggles and I'll listen to uh, a podcast that I downloaded that usually puts me to sleep or a book that I'm, I'm really interested in that'll put me to sleep. And you wake up, you know, when I, when I wake up in the morning, first thing I do is I look at my, my Aura app 
I've got friends and clients that use a Garmin, but in fact, to see my score, it's like 94. And it's like, wow, oh my God, you know, like, you know, and, and you feel it when, when you have, you know, 85 plus scores, it's like you feel the difference. And if you have like a 68, a 72, 75, you're like, this is going to be a day. <laughs> and things are not going to work out. But, but in terms of recovering from COVID, that was, that was critical. And even now, Ben, if I don't get an adequate amount of sleep, and, and sleep is a superpower, I can get symptomy. Wow, interesting. And that, this, is, this is going to be two years later, this January, right? That's correct. Hey, Keto Camper, we've been told for a long time, when it comes to magnesium, look at the forums. And let's face it, there's so many different forums and confusion when it comes to magnesium. But this company called Upgraded Formulas, they've created a nanoparticle magnesium, so you don't really have to worry about the form anymore. The unique thing about nanoparticles, it goes right into your membranes. It's small enough to penetrate the cell membrane. And the truth is most people are suffering from a magnesium deficiency. Common symptoms and signs of a magnesium deficiency include poor sleep, cramping, eye twitching, headaches and migraines, irregular heartbeat, stiff joints, anxiety, depression, body odor, and others. Magnesium is intimately involved in how you look, feel, and how you move. It's critical for feeling energetic, achieving peak mental and physical performance, and looking young and vibrant. There's a current sleep study being conducted right now on upgraded formulas magnesium. Early results so far shown that it was given to 212 doctors, and they had an average of 30% more deep sleep shown on their aura ring with upgraded formulas magnesium. Now, why is that important? Deep sleep is where your body activates its fat-burning hormones. You detoxify, you repair, you recover. How many of you would want to get more deep sleep? I'm raising my hand right now. Upgraded magnesium is endorsed by myself, my mentor, Dr. Dan Pompa, by my colleague, Dr. Mindy Pels, and many, many others. Another cool thing about magnesium is that it converts into melatonin. And melatonin is the most potent antioxidant for your mitochondria. And yes, it also helps with sleep. Look, it's much easier to replace the building blocks than to put in hormones. And that's what magnesium does. If you want to get your hands on a bottle of upgraded magnesium for 15% off, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's upgradedformulas.com. Use KK15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. I'll drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. I agree um, about the sleep and we have a very similar similar schedule and I'm 38 and I still go to bed at the same time. You go to bed 930, it, you know, it drives my fiance crazy. Honestly, she doesn't like that, but that's that money time sleep window. And I also keep my bedroom cold. I have a chili pad that I use and uh, it's the best. Yeah. And I love looking at my scores first thing in the morning. Um, I'm really, I've been really fascinated on the HRV part of it. Um, and sure. you know, same with, yeah, it's critical, right? Um, man, I'm curious. Do you know what your HRV scores were like right after? Oh, it's funny that you asked that. My HRV got as low as eight. And I thought to myself, I'm going to die. You know, now it still t t took me the better part of a year to get over 20. 
you know, with, with peaks and troughs where you would hit, you know, 40, 50, 60, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Average, uh, average is around 20 right now is what you're no, saying? No, now, now my average is about 40, 45. Oh, oh, well, okay. That's great. What was it before you got sick? Uh, I, I think it was in my 50s. I mean, uh, my scores were good and I could, you know, periodically when I would look at, at, at my peaks, I would hit, you know, 80, 85. You know, I was like, whoa. So you and I both know, I mean, the, the lower your HRV and the longer your HRV is low, the closer you are to your mortality. I was like, I got to fix this and I got to fix this like now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, so, such a great marker. And, uh, you know, the Aura Ring is a great way. There's also, like you mentioned, Garmin and there's a Whoop Band, but I love the Aura Ring. What's fascinating is my fiance, I think she has some sort of genetic component. Her HRV is 140, 150, 160. And I'm it like, is genetic. It is that's that's her superpower. Yeah. Um, I've got friends like that too, uh, companions who score. I mean, they could they could go out dancing all night at Tao and come back at two in the morning. Their HRV the next day is like you know ninety. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I would love a ninety. This is possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Okay. You know, we mentioned sleep. And melatonin isn't that conversation of sleep, but melatonin, as you know, you talk about it, it's, it's even much more than that. It's such a powerful antioxidant for the mitochondria. Did you use melatonin for yourself? Do you recommend it? And if you did, how, what are the ways to use it? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of, of high amounts of melatonin. So there's a little formula that I follow when I go to bed at night, and we'll, we can talk about this. I'll use melatonin about one milligram at night. Orally? Um, like a capsule? Uh, uh, orally. Okay. I, I use both a spray and sublingual. I don't like the time release because it. some people do great with it, but I, I much prefer to have 5-HTP in time release, B6 in time release. My body seems to work better with that. I'll use uh, phosphatidyl serene PS before bed, about three, 400 milligrams, magnesium theranate, magnesium taurate, magnesium malate. I'll use all three. So you use all three. You would. You're not alternating each night. You're using all three at once. Is what you're saying? That's correct. Okay. And, interesting. And, and I think for a long haul, that works better. Although, if all you're interested in is just uh, maximizing sleep, I would go with magnesium theranate. You know, the ther- the threonine itself uh, crosses the blood-brain barrier and has a tremendously relaxing effect on 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 the human brain. You really go out with mag threonate. I use the other ones also because they reduce inflammation. So magtorate, you know, so that's magnesium with taurine and magnesium malate, that's with malic acid. They tend to have an inflammatory, anti-inflammatory effect on the body. So when you mix them all uh, for long haulers or if you're recovering from sports injury, that combination works really, really well. Um, ashwagandha before bedtime, there's a combination that I use also that has uh, tart cherry, uh, hops, valerian, Bacopa. So it's kind of like a little cocktail. It takes me about 10 minutes to get all these pills down. Paco- what's, pa- what's capo- what did you say? Capope? What is it? Bacopa. Bacopa. What is that? Uh, Bacopa is a plant-based product that also regulates uh, cortisol within the body and has a very soothing, calming effect on, on the adrenal glands. Is that similar to Capiba or is that something completely different? No, completely different. Oh, interesting. So it's, I haven't it's heard of Bacopa, this. Bacopa, B A C O P A. Uh, I'll use rhodiola. 
kind of got going through my head of different things that I use too. And the book outlines a whole bunch of them, including the peptides. In so. fact, one of the studies that I saw indicates that if you take vitamin D at night, your vitamin D dose instead of the daytime, it'll help you sleep better too. So if you're taking, you know, 5,000 milligrams, may as well just take it at 5,000 I use at bedtime. So those are the basics in terms of the sleep formula. All right. And then uh, I may use a little bit of, of CBD and I'm out. I love that. Yeah. You, page 84 and 85 actually has everything you listed and, and much more. So for those who get the book, 84 and 85, have you looked at all? Because I don't think I saw it on the book. Have you looked at all into methylene blue? For um... I, I love methylene blue. And, 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 and I'm embarrassed that I didn't actually uh, cover it better or at all in the book. In my recovery phase, I was using methylene blue uh, in my IVs a lot. And that made an immense difference in my recovery. So I probably use about one ml you know, of, of methylene blue now in bottle form most days. It's, it's, it's remarkable for improved immune system function. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, it's like food for the mitochondria, right? I, I've been experimenting with um, methylene blue suppository, uh, which works really, oh, yeah. really well, well. Which company are you using? My, my you colleague, remember? Dr. John Laurence, has one called um, Lumetol Blue, and his company is called Advanced Rejuvenation. He's at, based out of Sarasota, so I use his. Oh, great. There's another company, I think it's called Transcriptions, and they make it also. Although I'd be curious to talk to you more, Ben, about uh, this gentleman and, and what he's doing. We had a source for the methylene blue suppositories, and uh, they're no longer since the pandemic um, in business. But using it in that way, uh, remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, it really is. Methylene blue turned out to yes, tremendous. And, and I prefer the suppository just because I don't like getting my mouth all blue. It just you know when you do content, oh, it's like, embarrassing. Yeah, it's like it's like it's cool maybe the first like, time, and then you use a dropper. You gotta uh, see if you can get it all the yeah. way back without you it know, hitting your, your then, teeth. You can talk, and it's like your, your whole tongue's blue. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I'm actually curious. And now we're gonna wind up wind down the conversation soon, but. I've seen a lot of amazing research on melatonin, and I've also seen... For, for COVID recovery and immune system function. Yeah, extremely high amounts. I don't think I could survive it, and, and, and I did experiment to see, but there it's, it's 500 to 1,000 milligrams, if you can imagine, of melatonin. And some long haulers do very, very well with that. I, I would be completely incapacitated. So it's a very personal thing in that regard. Interesting. Okay. So for you personally, you don't do well with it. That's why you don't like it, but you're not saying you're opposed to it for some other people. Okay. No, there are many people that do well with it for sleep and, and it's an immune support product. If you can handle those amounts, uh, you just have to work with somebody that's familiar with dosing that amount, you know, these, these, uh, you know, hyper, uh, elevated levels of melatonin. But like I said, for, for some long haulers, it is absolute salvation. Yeah, I've done, I've done, again, going back to the suppositories, 200 milligram suppository of melatonin, and it's a little high to your point, but I actually felt good with it. But again, this is not something the average person should do. Like, yeah, yeah it, it's a very personal thing, you know, and you and I both know that the genetics are going to drive our tolerance for some of these things. There are clients that I have that, believe it or not, they'll use melatonin when they wake up. Uh, in the morning, it actually you know resets their mood. I'm like, what? Yeah, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Well, your your website is ozgarcia.com. That's ozgarcia.com. The book is After COVID: Optimize Your Health in a Changing World. And 
it's really important. If you know somebody who has symptoms still from COVID, gift them this book, like buy it for them. We'll put a link for the book down below. Uh, any final words for you, Oz? Ben, I'm delighted that we did this. Obviously, you and I could talk for another hour or two or three easily. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, again, very pleased to have shared this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your work. And uh, the book is a game changer for a lot of people. I have one final question for you. Sure, go for it. I believe the, the most powerful vitamin, was, you know, we were talking about vitamins and supplements. I believe the most po- important supplement is vitamin G, gratitude. And I love how you spoke about gratitude in the book. So my final, my final question is, what are you grateful for today, Oz? So let's use that as where you and I kind of r- roll out of this thing. I, I use gratitude journal. So I do gratitude journaling five, 10 minutes in the morning, five, 10 minutes at night. Study after study after study indicates that if you do gratitude journaling for that little amount of time every day, it'll have an impact on how you look at the world. This is unbelievable. And compassion along with that too. So so today I'm grateful for the time that you and I spent together. Um, I'm grateful for the fact that I'm, I'm going to have dinner with a, a, a dear friend of mine and her daughter. I'm grateful that I'm well, you know, that I'm here and I'm talking to you when a year and a half ago, uh, it didn't look like we'd, I'd have, you and I would, would be having this talk. So I'm grateful for all of those. Uh, that's beautiful. I, I love that. And you're right, what you appreciate, appreciate. So I love that you do the gratitude journaling. Me too. I don't miss any day where, where I don't write down. Yeah. Yes, it's such a game changer. So Oz, I've got a lot of vitamin G for you and your work and all the things you're doing. So thank you so much for uh, your time today. Thanks, Ben. You too, man. Have a great day. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Oz. If you want to watch the video version of today's interview and all interviews that we do, that can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. If you want to get his book, we'll drop a link down below. It's called After COVID. We'll put his website down below, his social media down below, including timestamps and notes from today's episode. If you know somebody suffering with long-haul COVID symptoms, go share this episode with them. Copy and paste the link. Put it in a text message. It can be a big game changer for them, their health, and their relationships. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from. Go check me out on Instagram and TikTok at TheBenAzadi is my handle. We're doing some cool things on there. I want to thank you so much for spending part of your day with Dr. Oz and myself. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.